I invite you to turn with me to the Word of God, uh, to the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter. And we'll be reading verses 17 to 31. That's Mark, the 10th chapter, verses 17 to 31. A pretty well-known story in the Gospel account of Mark, which sometimes called the... Uh, the rich young ruler. And uh, once you have that, it's also on the screen. I invite you to stand with me as we listen to the Word of God. If the governor of New York came in the room, if the mayor of New York came in the room, if the president of the United States came in the room, we would stand. Well, we're in the presence of the King of Kings, whose uh, word brings life. And uh, so we stand. We stand. And this is what the word of the Lord says. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Peter said to him, We've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. In this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We come to you, all of us. Look at us here, Lord, in your presence. 
Only you have the words of life. There's nowhere else we can go. We pray, God, that uh, your word will go forth in truth and in clarity. That by your loving kindness, Lord, you would draw us to yourself as we meditate on your living word. Bless our time at your feet, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And I want us to be thinking this morning about inheritance. And I'm posing the question, inheritance on whose terms? Um, on whose terms? Just about a month ago, it'll be a month ago, I think on Tuesday, um, was an event that happened in the United Kingdom. I don't know if anybody watched the coronation of King Charles. Did anybody see any of that? Watch any of that? We, you got to understand in our house, it's a big deal. Um, and so we got up early to watch the coronation of King Charles. Fun fact, uh, the crown that he's wearing in this picture weighs over five pounds. Now, can you imagine uh, a five-pound hat on your head? Think about a five-pound bag of potatoes and then putting that on your head and having to go through uh, like an hour and a half church service with probably the most ridiculous hat you've ever seen. <laughs> No offense, if you're from, I, I, uh, Zach, you're from, the, you're from Canada, which is a commonwealth, so we're, we're getting close, right? <laughs> I, um, so, but this coronation took place uh, just a, a, a little over a month ago. And, you know, if you think about it, um, Charles became king because he was the first born of Queen Elizabeth who was the queen for 70 years. And so he has now this responsibility, this job. And of course, we're all thinking about the privilege and the money and the palaces. Sure. But he also has all of this responsibility um, simply because he was the firstborn of four children, the firstborn of Queen Elizabeth. And um, think about that, the inheritance the inheritance. And th this young man in this gospel account, I'm so glad we have the gospel accounts of the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're historically reliable. They are at once the inspired, authoritative, supernatural Word of God, which brings us life and salvation, but they're also historically accurate. These aren't fables or stories, myths that were made up. These are the accurate historical accounts of Jesus. And Mark's gospel is the shortest, and it's written, uh, really, scholars tell us, with a view towards bringing us to a point of decision. In fact, really, the end of go the gospel of Mark really is kind of a cliffhanger. And it kind of leaves you asking the question, what next? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? 
in response to this message uh, of the life and person of Jesus Christ. And so in this account, we have a short story, uh, 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 this one one-time account of this person who comes to Jesus with his questions, and it relates to this idea of inheritance. Inheritance. Well, most of us probably here aren't going to inherit a lot of money or palaces, five-pound crowns made of jewels. But the biggest question we can ask is the question that was first posed uh, by this rich young man. What, What can I do to inherit eternal life? Right? What can I do to inherit eternal life? Listen to the terms and conditions that Charles agreed to just a couple of months ago. I'm going to read them. Uh, I guess we can't see them on this. You probably can't see that, but this is actually, uh, I, I, I copied this right out of the program that was used in Westminster Cathedral uh, there in London. So the Archbishop of the Church of England stands and says, to Charles, your majesty, the church established by law, whose settlement you will swear to maintain is committed to the true profession of the gospel, and in so doing will seek to foster an environment in which people of all faiths and beliefs may live freely. The coronation oath has stood for centuries and is enshrined in law. Are you willing to take the oath? There's a condition. The king replied, I am willing. Then King Charles placed his hand on a Bible, interesting, and took this oath. Again, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Will you solemnly promise and swear to govern the peoples of the United Kingdom and Great Britain and Northern Ireland, your other realms and the territories, to any of them belonging or pertaining according to their respective laws and customs? The king replied, I solemnly promise to do so. The Archbishop of Canterbury, will will you to your power cause law and justice and mercy to be executed in all your judgments? I will. Again, the Archbishop of Canterbury, will you to the uttermost of your power maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? Will you to the utmost of your power maintain in the United Kingdom the Protestant reform religion established by law? Will you maintain and preserve inviolably the settlement of the Church of England and, and the doctrine, worship, discipline, and government thereof as, law, as by law established in England? And will you preserve unto the bishops and clergy of England and to the churches there committed to their charge all such rights and privileges as by law do or shall appertain to them or any of them? All that legalese. And the king responds, all this I promise to do. The things which I have here before promised I will perform and keep, so help me God. And then the archbishop responds, your majesty, are you willing to make, subscribe, and declare to the statutory accession declaration oath? The king replied, I am willing. And then he finished the oath with these words, I, Charles, do solemnly and sincerely in the presence of God profess, testify, and declare that I am a faithful Protestant and that I will, according to the true intent of the enactments which secure the Protestant succession to the throne, uphold and maintain the said enactments to the best of my powers according to law. You hear all the terms and conditions in there? How many of you uh, scroll past the terms and conditions on your smartphones? 
Yeah, yeah, I read it. <laughs> Just get me the app. <laughs> Just get me what I need, right? Yeah, we, we all do it. But these are, these are heavy words. I mean, I, I bet a lot of people tuned in or maybe even showed up in person to this, not knowing that they were, they were actually going to be part of a worship service. A lot of things being promised there. And so the, this young man, um, the, Matthew tells us he's young. Luke tells us he's a ruler. He had some place and authority. And all three gospel accounts, all three synoptic gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us that he was rich. He was rich. He comes to Jesus with, with this question. But I'm going to ask us this morning that we consider three questions that emerge out of uh, the gospel text, which will help us in our thinking. They'll, they'll be kind of like trail, marker, trail markers for us. We like to get, our family likes to get out and hike and walk in the woods a lot as much as we can. And it, you got to get out, you got to get away from New York to be able to do it. But when you can, it's a great thing. It's great for the soul. But you got to make sure you got your markers in place or you can get lost. So I, I'm going to suggest for us this morning that we consider these three questions that will help kind of keep us on point. I'm, I'm now, I'm going to put them up here in order, but they're going to be more woven together, kind of like a braid, and less like one, two, three. I'm going to give you three, but think about them weaving back and forth, and you'll see they come, come together in this way. I've already mentioned the first question. It comes from the rich, young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life. Verse 17. It's a sincere question. It's a good question. And man, every church, every place where the gospel is being preached and lived out, right? You're a community of believers. We're not just here for an hour preaching and teaching, but then I'm so glad to hear that there's a living out the gospel. There's a demonstration in practical ways of the difference which Jesus makes in our lives. The world needs it. And one of the functions of the church should be that we provide space for people to come with the big questions in life. I love the big questions in life. I love to have conversations about the big questions in life. We have them, right? Where did we come from? Where are we going? How do we know right from wrong? What's my purpose in life? Right? These are big questions. Everybody has them. And the gospel has the answers for us. So when we meet people, we have opportunity to connect with them in this way. And this guy just comes and he lays it right out. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And I don't know about you, but I'm surprised that Jesus doesn't just go to like, you know, the ABCs of the gospel. You'd think he would, right? Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household, right? You'd think he'd just go to that. Or Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct. There it is, but he doesn't do that. 
What's going on? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I, wanna, I want you to... You know, I, I go back and forth with this. Was he being sincere? Or was, was this an act? And I, I kind of have this internal debate. Because some of it, some of the, some of the details here kind of let us know that he was being very sincere. He, he comes up to Jesus and he bows down in front of him. He kneels before him. And you know, in, a, in an Eastern culture like that, to put yourself on the ground in front of someone else was a sign of, it was a sign of honor and lowering yourself. He calls him good teacher. And he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What are the terms and conditions? Right? What are the terms and conditions? But that question, what must I do? And I'm emphasizing that word do with intent. What must I do to be saved? Comes from a worldview that salvation, eternal life, is based on good works, on what I must do, on what I achieve or what I earn. Now, I still, I know we're in New York City and I know we're in Brooklyn, but I still think most people on the street, if you interview them, most people are at least, they may, they're going to believe in some kind of God and they're going to certainly want to believe in, um, in the hereafter life eternal of some kind but if you ask someone how do you get to heaven or how do you have that kind of life in the the hereafter most what are most people going to say you got to be good you got to be good most you're with me right most people would say well you just got to be good you kind of at the end you just kind of add up you know uh, I served at the soup kitchen here at Next Step Community Church. Uh, I showed up for 49 out of 52 Sundays a year. Uh, I helped, you know, and you just start adding these things up. And, you know, eventually at the end, I just kind of weigh them out. Uh, you know, I've got my sins over here, but I've got my, you know, the things I've done good. And eventually, the good will outweigh the bad. And that's the way, this is the way this young man is approaching the question. What must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't reprimand the man. He doesn't, he doesn't cancel him because <laughs> he asked the wrong question or in the wrong way. But he does, what he does do is bring up the second question. And by the way, before we get to the second question, no more important question. I just want to underscore that. No more important question than how do we get eternal life? That, that's the question. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't answer, well, here's what you got to do. He flips the question first back. Why are you calling me good? There's the second question. Why do you call me good? Interesting question. 
one of the big questions I, I said, what, one of the big questions is, where do we come from? Where are we going? Right? Uh, one of the other big questions is, how do we know what's right from wrong? Or what's good and what's evil? I don't know if you've ever gone, the old school hardware stores, I don't know if there's any left in this neighborhood, but if you went into an old school hardware, mom and pop hardware store, they used to have a, a yardstick right on the counter. Nailed down on the counter. And if you were buying anything, chain, Velcro, whatever, you're buying it by the yard, they lay it out right in front of you. They're measuring it so that you can see, they can see, we're not, I'm not taking you for a ride. You know, you following me? There's a, me there's a standard of measurement by which we can determine what, what is being sold. This is an actual yard of chain or rope or whatever it is. It's not less and it's not more. It's meeting the standard. Jesus says, what, where's your standard of good and evil? Why are you calling me good? Interesting question. In the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you total them all together by most accounts, Jesus is asked 183 questions. That is, people are coming to Jesus all the time and saying, like this young man, what do I need to do to be saved? Right? Many times, though, Jesus responds not with a direct answer right away, but with questions of his own. In fact, Jesus, by account, asks over 300 questions to many who are coming to him with questions. That's interesting. That's interesting. For example, maybe some of you will remember some of these. Um, some people came to Jesus on one occasion. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? He didn't, it was a yes or no question. <laughs> he didn't give a yes or no answer. He said, give me a coin. Whose inscription's on the coin? Another question. Then another time, they came to corner Jesus. Most, a lot of the times they came to Jesus with a question. You know, they were, they, were, they were trying to corner him. They were trying to catch him. They wanted to get him. They wanted to get a quote that they could put on like social media so that they could just... Catch him. So they came to him one time and said, Teacher, all these miracles you're doing, by what power, by what authority are you doing this? Right? If he was going to say, it's my authority, then, you know, it was, he, he was demonic. And if he's saying, it's God in me, then he's blasphemy. Right? They were trying to catch him. He doesn't answer the question. What does he say? John's baptism... He brings up John's baptism. Was it of man or was it of God? They don't respond. Interesting. Jesus, the smartest man who ever lived. Really. Best philosopher who ever lived. Much more than a philosopher. Much more than a great teacher. But not less than. Not less than that. He didn't take the bait. We live in a very charged social world today where people want us to take the bait on different things. We got to be wise like serpents and follow his lead, right?
Jesus, Isaiah calls him the wonderful counselor. Whenever he asks a question, it's never, brothers and sisters, it's never because he's lacking information. <laughs> Nothing is surprising to Jesus. All right? So he's not asking a question because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking the question because he's, he's helping us. You ever, if you get therapy, if you've had a therapist or you get counseling, counselors have to ask good questions because they're helping us to think through things and, come and work out a framework for an approach or an answer that we've got to work on. Right? That's Jesus. What does Isaiah call him? He's a wonderful counselor. Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Now, Jesus didn't give him time to respond. Also very interesting. He gets on to this. For, he get, he, okay, you want to ask. You want to talk. I want to talk about over here. Why are you coming to me? Why you think I'm good? But I'll go back to your first question. What must, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments, right? This indicates to us that he must have been a very observant Jew. And he says, you know the commandments, right? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Right? These would have been memorized by this young man. In fact, he says, I have kept these uh, since my birth. Now, I don't know. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I go, wait a minute. <laughs> Imagine now, uh, Pastor Chris, you know, has been sending me emails. We've been working out the details for our, our visit with you today. And he, at one point, he says, can you send me a bio? You know, he read a little bit of my bio. Imagine if I write back to Pastor Chris with my bio. I have kept all the commandments all of my life. You know, the first people are over here will be the first people who go, wait a minute. <laughs> we, got, we got some things to say. But he says it. Again, Jesus doesn't call him on it. He could have. Wait a minute. Who's keeping all the commandments for forever throughout their whole life? Good try. But Jesus doesn't correct him. But what Jesus is saying is, listen... First things first, and who of us hasn't wrestled with the will of God in a certain dimension of our life at some time? And the first thing God says, do what I've already told you to do. God's revealed to us already what he needs me to do basically day to day. I don't know where I'm going to be. I didn't know I was going to be here three months ago. I mean, today. But I got to honor my parents. I got to stay faithful to my wife. You know, I got to love my neighbor. Right? Those are the, those are the, what we call in baseball, the fundamentals. Those are the things you just got to get up. You got to do. You got to put one foot in front of the other. Do the things that God's already told us to do. And the guy goes, well, I've done all of those. And uh, this is what the Apostle Paul said to the church in, in Philippi. If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. 
I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. There's his resume, right? A Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. And yet he would go on to say, the Apostle Paul, all of these things I consider now, are, most of our Bibles say loss. A closer word would be rubbish. If I use the real word in Greek, you might be offended. Yeah, you know, it's what we flush down the toilet. Compared to knowing Jesus. Compared to knowing Jesus. Jesus looks at the young man. Don't you love this? He looks at the young man, it says in verse 21, and he loved him. I just want to say, Jesus loves you. If I only came to say those three words, Jesus loves you, I would be doing my job this morning. And he looked at this young man, and he loved him. Then he said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now Jesus is turning his attention to the first four commandments. The, the, what, he did, what he did in response was talk about commandments uh, five through ten, which have to do with our relationship with each other, right? Don't commit adultery, don't murder. That's how we treat each other. Now Jesus turns his attention to the first part of the Ten Commandments, and that's our relationship with God. You really want to have no other gods before me? Okay. I know you own a lot of things. I know you're a person of great wealth and influence. Go sell everything you have. And he doesn't... Listen, if, if this had been one of the huckster preachers who've done a lot of damage to the church in the recent decades, you know what he would have said, Jesus. He would have said, go sell everything you have and bring me the money, and then I'll, bl and then I'll bless you. That's a false gospel. What he said is, go sell everything you have, you give it away, you find the people who are in need around you, you've got people all around you who've got needs, open your eyes to those people around you, give away everything you have, then come follow me. And then the scripture says, the young man went away sad. That, that's even a weaker word. He, he was grieved. I'm going to say one more thing. Somehow in our world today, especially in the West, in the United States, we, we've gotten this other idea that God, Jesus, is primarily concerned or responsible to tend to my happiness. And what I want to suggest to you, brothers and sisters, for your consideration is Jesus looks to me to be content here to let the young man go away in sadness if the young man will not submit to his authority. 
And that's all I'm going to say about that. Jesus then states twice how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God for the rich first, but then just so that none of us feel excluded, really how difficult it is for anyone to enter the kingdom of God. Actually, what Jesus is saying is, by trying to keep the commandments, we can't get into the kingdom of God. To get to the good news, we got to first understand the bad news. And the bad news is that really, if I'm honest, if I'm accountable, at the end of the day, who of us could stand up and go, I've kept all of the commandments. And then you compound that, it becomes even more difficult when, I, when I'm convinced by my own comfort and my own ability to kind of give myself some security with the amount of money and influence that I have, that I'll, you know, I'll get the best medical care and uh, I'll be able to influence others and I'll be able to go to nice places and eat good food and keep a good roof over my head, all because of the, the material things that I have, which can be taken in a moment. how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. So here's the third question, and the disciples begin to... I'll tell you, this is interesting too. The disciples are looking around. Their heads are spinning. Oh my, they're talking amongst themselves. So Jesus is talking to the man. They're having a sidebar over there. Who then can be saved? Their conclusion was pretty much the same as the young man's, right? This guy... Is well off, he's well, he's well positioned in society, he's got influence, he must be highly favored by God, they were concluding. Right? Again, the conclusion is if I'm favored by God, I'll be well off, comfortable, and happy. And Jesus goes, No, he's way, he's way off. He's way off. You're way off. We may or may not have influence, material things for a season or not, but at the end of the day, it's all His. And He may or may not call us to seasons of giving everything, and, and it's all His. It's all His. This text has been wrongly applied in many situations also by, by pastors telling and teachers telling you, okay, everybody's got to give up everything and sell everything. And, and, you know, and it sounds like a cult. And that's not what Jesus was getting at. What Jesus was bringing in like a laser beam for this man. This was his idol. We know Jesus had other people. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, right? The centurion. People who had wealth and influence. And Lydia with, with the apostle Paul. Right? These were people that had business and they had property and Jesus depended on their support. It would have been ridiculous to tell everybody, go sell everything you have and come follow me. Right? But every follower of Jesus has to be able to say day by day, hour by hour, whatever you want, Jesus. I am all in with you. It's all yours. It's all yours. I, you did for me what I could never do for myself. 
See, Jesus, it says in the text, they were on their way somewhere. Verse 32 says they were on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus was going with intent to do for all of humankind what we could never do for ourselves. And so he deserves day by day, moment by moment, every person, brother, sister here as followers of Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, you say it, it's at your disposal. I have, I'm glad we opened our hands, Pastor Rock. I'm glad we prayed with open hands this morning, right? We keep everything with an open hand. Everything with an open hand. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, follow me. Follow me. Now, we don't know. This is, this is one of these stories. It doesn't have that happy ending that we like so much in the United States. You know, we wrap up our sitcoms in 22 minutes. You know, eight, eight, eight minutes of advertisement, 22 minutes of a story, conflict, resolution. Next week. But this ends here, like this. And it says to us, what, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? Well, he looks on us and he loves us and he invites us to follow him. You remember uh, John chapter 21. We don't have time to look at it and I, I, I'm coming to a close. But, you know, in John chapter 21, it's one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And he, it's a great scene. He's by the lake the Sea of Galilee, and he's preparing breakfast for the disciples, and, and he calls Peter aside. You remember that? And you remember he, tell, he asked him three times, because Peter denied him three times, and three times he said, do you love me? And, but then he goes on to say this to Peter. He goes, when you were younger, you did what you wanted to do. You went where you wanted to go. You saw who you wanted to see. When you get older, Jesus was prophesying to him, People are going to come for you. They're going to bind you by the hand and take you to places you don't want to go. And, and what Jesus was saying is, if you're really going to serve me, this is what it's going to cost. And we know from church history that Peter was crucified later on. But Peter does this thing. They're actually walking. The, the, the text says they're walking along the lake. And, and, and it says that John is walking a few paces behind. You can almost imagine it, right? They're walking by the lake. It's Peter and Jesus. They're walking side by side. And John's a few paces behind. And Peter, when, when Jesus gives him this word of prophecy that's difficult to receive, I don't know if you remember, but Peter, one more time, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks back over his shoulder at John and he says, what about him? Like, what's he going to have to give up? And Jesus says, mind your own business. I mean, he didn't say it like that, but he said, what, he said, what he did say was, what is that to you? What is that to you? You follow me. So I want to say, brothers and sisters, when Jesus comes and says, this is what I want you to do. 
For this rich young ruler, it was give everything. Don't look over your shoulder. Are you with me? Don't look over your shoulder. Let's pray. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count as loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that, were, that would be a gift too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. All that I am, all I can be, all that I have, all that is me, Accept and use, Lord, as you would choose, Lord, right now, today. Take every passion, every skill, take all my dreams and bend them to your will. My all I give, Lord. For you I'll live, Lord. Come what may. Amen.